There's one thing that I think most kids have in common, uh, at least boys, boys for sure. I don't know so much about girls, and not all boys, and some more than others. And what is that? It's the fascination with fire. Okay, when our boys were like in late elementary school, middle school, around that age, one of their friends was uh, overly fascinated with fire. And I know more than once that this young lad was um, fooling with matches at the church and because our boys had come home from youth group or from um, Sunday school and, and just talk about how, you know, this is what he did. And, and you know, not that they weren't probably part of it as well, but I, I kept waiting to hear the fire trucks coming to the church or to their house, which was just a couple houses down from us. And, you know, I have to admit that I like watching a campfire. You know, you just sit there and just kind of watch how it burns, how the fire passes from one piece of wood to another, and how the, the wood is just kind of slowly consumed. And, you know, if you have some wood that's not completely dry or has a lot of sap in it, you know, just that snapping and crackling of the, the wood as it's burning. And, uh, you know, I, I never learned how to uh, start a, a fire in, in Cub Scouts, you know, using flint or sticks or whatever. The TV series alone that my wife and I watched uh, every episode of that. And there was people that, you know, would start fire with you know, rubbing the sticks and, you know, eventually getting a fire started because a fire can be mesmerizing and it can be dangerous. It can be romantic, you know, to have a fire in the fireplace uh, and it can be devastating. And unfortunately, some people are fascinated to the point of arson. We had a a young foster boy that stayed with us for a while early in our marriage, and he had started a barn fire. I mean, he was like 12, 13 years old when he came to live with us. And later, when I was a corrections officer at the county jail, uh, he came in as a young adult uh, from starting a fire someplace. So, you know, there's there's good... And there's bad about fire, but I want us to take a look and see how fire maybe needs to be in our lives more than we think. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for the things that you have given us and, Lord, the, the use that we have of those. So, Lord, as we look at your word, uh, just give us a message that you want us to have today, that, Lord, we will... Uh, learn and, and maybe better understand uh, some things that maybe were kind of cloudy before, or maybe I'll make them cloudier than they were before. But Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us and that we would get your message. In Jesus' name, amen. So fire is what I want to talk about. 
but in a different way. Because we're told that we're supposed to be on fire for the Lord. Well, what do we mean when we say that or when we hear that? Well, my guess, and that's all that it is, is this. Okay, if you, you go to Acts chapter 2, and starting in the first verse, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, but tongues of fire. When you look at a fire burning, it really kind of looks like a tongue. Okay, it's moving and it's lapping up the oxygen and the fuel. And so the fire was received at Pentecost, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's what we're talking about when we say that we're supposed to be on fire for the Lord, is to have that. Uh, you know, it's funny how we talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, in baptism, it's water that's used. But in being baptized by the Holy Spirit, it's fire. And, you know, fire and water don't mix. So I'm not sure how that comes together. So to be on fire for the Lord means that we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospels, we find Jesus talking a few times about fire. In Matthew chapter 25, is one time we hear Jesus talking about the fire in a completely different way. In verse 41 of Matthew 25, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, in Acts chapter 2, there was a fire, was the Holy Spirit. But here, the fire is eternal damnation. Wow, that's quite a contrast. Okay, proving that fire can be good or fire can be bad, eternally bad. Okay, this is a fire that Jesus talked about in Luke in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. In Luke 16, 24, it says, So he, meaning Lazarus, called to him, God, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Okay, so it's the, the fire of redemption, the fire of damnation. So more importantly, it's the fire that John tells us about in the book of Revelation in chapter 20, beginning in verse 12. John says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades 
were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. A lake of fire. Man, I cannot imagine that. You know, I, I look at, you know, when I think about a lake, I grew up on Lake Erie. And just the, the size of that, you could hardly see to the other side of the lake into Canada. And so, you know, to think of a, a lake like that, there was a lake of fire. I mean, can you picture that? And then can you imagine having to be in that for eternity? You know, that you're never going to get out. You know, like Lazarus wanting to, to get out to be cooled down to warn his brothers. So if you've thought about making a commitment to Jesus, but you haven't, you know, here's one really great reason to take that step. To think, you know, do I want to be in heaven with the Lord? You know, the angels and, you know, other people that I know that have died and have gone there. Or do I want to spend eternity in a lake of fire? Hmm, let's see. Let me weigh that out. Uh, I think I'll take the heaven side. Okay? So, if you choose to not choose Jesus, then you need to be preparing yourself for an eternity in the lake of fire. Now, we all know that fire is something that you shouldn't play around with. And most, if not all of us, have seen what a fire can do to a house, to a building, to a body. I mean, I don't even want to think about that. When I was in, I think, sixth, seventh grade, I found out that there was a, a small plane that had crashed at the little local airport that was there. And so, you know, I hopped on my bike and I rode there. It was probably about eight miles or so to ride there, but I rode and getting there, I found out that it was a local family, a, a girl who was in my class, her and her sister and her father and her uncle were in this little private plane. They'd gone down the runway and they didn't get enough height and the landing gear hooked on a fence or on a grape row and crashed and burst into flame. Well, my classmate and her sister, you know, died hopefully instantly because they were burned beyond recognition. Her father and her uncle were able to crawl out of the plane and they both died days later. I cannot imagine the agony of being in a fire and to think, you know, I'm going to be in that fire for eternity, not consumed, but to just be burning forever. Well, Luke tells us more about fire in his gospel. In chapter 12, Jesus is going to tell us this, <clears throat> starting in verse 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, but division. 
From now on, there will be five in one family, divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What is Jesus talking about? Let's start with the fire, okay? Jesus is speaking about the fire in relation to judgment. And here's the connection. In John 15, Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches, that they have to be connected. Okay, you need to be connected to the vine or you're not going to be fruitful. In verse 6 of John 15, Jesus says, If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. That's the fire that Jesus was talking about in Luke 12. Okay? And we need to to make sure that we, you know, are connected to Jesus. Otherwise, we're going to end up in the fire, the fire of judgment. In Luke 12, Jesus is saying he wishes that the judgment was already happening. Okay, he didn't want to wait for it. He wishes it was already happening. In verse 51, he says he came to bring division. He saw it in his time. We see it in our time. If someone from a a non-believing family accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know, his friends, his family are, you know, going to look at him differently. You know, some may doubt. They may say, ah, you know, this is just a fad. He's going to go through, you know, in a few weeks, he'll forget about it. He'll be ridiculed, laughed at, be shunned. If a Muslim becomes a believer, he's abandoned by his family. It's like he no longer exists and never did exist. He receives threats. Sometimes he is even threatened with death and sometimes killed because of this. You know, and even within a Christian family, you know, the family, they've gone to the the first church of Podunk forever. You know, for generations they've gone to this church. And, you know, one of the family members decides, you know, instead he wants to go to the, the community church. Well, the family might say, you know, well, you know, you think you're better than us? You know, you're not good enough to go to the to the first church and you got to go to this other church. And so this is a division that Jesus is speaking about. It's like a fire that destroys. It destroys families. It destroys homes. It destroys churches. Well, the writer of Hebrews makes a reference to Deuteronomy that eh, it may be confusing. Okay, so let me give you Hebrews first. Okay, in Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29, we're told this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, if you just leave it at that, we don't really get the true understanding of what the writer wants us to to get. 
Okay, so you need to go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 to see the meaning of that statement. Okay, Moses has been talking about God's anger at the Israelites because of their involvement in idolatry. Okay, so then in verse 24, this is what Moses says. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Okay, the Lord will destroy what goes against him. Does that mean if you start worshiping someone or something other than him, that he's going to burn you up? No, but he will put obstacles in your way. He will try to divert you. He will remind you of his love and his forgiveness. What do we do if we become jealous? Well, like William Shakespeare said, the green-eyed monster shows up. Okay, we become jealous and we want to recover what's been taken from us. We know that fire is consuming. And so, you know, we're not going to put somebody on fire, but we're going to try to, you know, and that jealousy bring that person back to us. So, like I said, fire is consuming. It can consume our lives can consume things that are important to us. You know, as you watch a campfire or a bonfire burn, you know, you, you see that. You know, you put in a, a big log, a big piece of wood, and it catches on fire, and, you know, pretty soon it's smaller than it was when you put it in there. And, you know, it just continues to burn and get smaller and be consumed by that fire. Every year we hear about the wildfires that burn around our country. You know, tens of thousands of acres that get burned. I know eight years ago or so we were out in Colorado where they had had several wildfires out there. And to just see the the devastation, you know, just destroy everything in, in its path. You know, I mean, there's nothing sacred. You know, trees buildings, homes, businesses, you know, gone. And, you know, you read about how sometimes they will maybe start a fire and burn an area to be able to control the wildfire. That, you know, the wildfire will get to that place that's burned off and the wildfire will go out. If they hadn't burned that off, the wildfire would have continued maybe into a a city or into a, an area that was, uh, you know, residential area. I remember several years ago, uh, Diane and I hadn't been married too many years, and we had this little box wood stove in the kitchen, and we had a fire going in there, and all of a sudden we had a chimney fire. Let me tell you, that thing roared like a, a diesel locomotive coming down, you know, and it's just this little chimney, this little fire, but boy, it got our attention really quick. If we hadn't been there, probably we'd have lost our house and everything in it. But, you know, the fire can be something that consumes us in so many ways. But, too, you look at fire as being a commitment. 
And we need to, to make sure that, you know, that fire continues to, to burn strongly. There's a story about a pastor that went to visit one of his church members. You know, as an older man, you know, he'd been involved in the church for many years, and he just kind of quit coming to church. You know, no real explanation. Pastor didn't know why, and so he was going to go and see him one day. And so he gets to the man's house, and, you know, the man invites him in, and they, they get a cup of coffee, and they go sit down in the rocking chairs by the fireplace. And, you know, they, they sit there for a while, and and they're not talking really about why the pastor's there. But, you know, at one point, the pastor takes this rod that's there, and he pulls this one log away from the fire in the fireplace. And this log, the fire continues to burn, but this log, you know, it's got a flame when he pulls it away. Well, pretty soon the flame is gone, and then the flame, you know, just becomes kind of a glow. And then, you know, there's not much of anything there. And the pastor, you know, says, you know, that's how it is with us. You know, if we draw away, you know, we're going to lose that fire that we need to have. And that's so true because we, we need the fire of the Holy Spirit to be burning bright and burning strong in our lives. In James' letter to the, the Jewish Christians, he covers a lot of topics, but in chapter 3, he's got a specific thing he wants to address, and that's our tongue. Now, here in verse 4, 4 to 6, uh, James says this, Take ships, for example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it's set on fire by hell. You know, I got to admit that my tongue has set some fires over the years. And I'm not proud of that because they're usually destructive. You know, they're, they're ones that can really consume a lot. They can destroy relationships. So most of us can recall times that we've been fire setters ourselves and times when we've seen or maybe felt the damage done by the fires of others. It's never pretty. Okay, it's destructive in so many ways. But what a fire leaves behind isn't pretty. Okay, the ashes and the soot, the charred remnants that get left behind. I remember several years ago, we'd taken the youth to Kingdom Mounds, a Christian festival, every year in, near the end of August, just before school is going to start. And they have uh, speakers and different Christian musicians that are there. It goes on for like 
three days. Uh, you know, we went for 10 years straight and then didn't go again until um, we went as a family. Our kids were all adults. Well, back when we took the youth group one time, it, it had rained constantly, it seemed like. And so we had been trying to do something and we we're getting ready to go. And this one girl, she, she wanted to change her, her pants. She had a, a new pair of jeans that she had just gotten to go back to school. And they were really soaked. And so she leaned them up against a, or draped them over, I guess, a, a lawn chair that was there, one of those cheap folding chairs, and set it there by the fire so it would dry out. Well, we went to listen to a speaker or whatever it was and, and came back later. Well, the wind had blown and had blown this chair over into the fire with her jeans. And so all that was left of her jeans was a zipper and the little rivets that they put on the pockets and the, the metal button, and that was it. Very destructive and left the charred remnants of what she was prizing uh, to go back to school. But fire is not always bad. It's not always destructive. You know, it's getting so it's getting colder out and the AC can be turned off and the heat's got to be turned on pretty soon. And that feels pretty good when it gets cold outside. And... You know, if you could see me, you know that I love to eat. And so, you know, the fire is good for cooking and baking. And, you know, my wife is always baking something, you know, pumpkin this or pumpkin that or cookies or whatever it might be. And it's good in making stuff. You know, you, you wouldn't have a car to drive if it wasn't for the fire that can melt the steel that can be, you know, made into whatever for your car or, you know, jewelry or, you know, whatever else. You know, you need the fire to do that. But fire needs two things. Fire needs oxygen and fire needs fuel. Well, our fire for the Lord needs fuel as well. And if we don't feed that fire, it's going to go out. Okay, that fire needs scripture, not just for a, an hour on Sunday morning, you know, but every day as believers, we should be in the Word of God, you know, doing daily devotionals, you know, just studying the Word, reading the Word, and more importantly, studying the Word. You know, that fire needs prayer, you know, just prayers of thanksgiving, for all that we have and all that the Lord's doing in our lives. Prayer of um, petition, you know, friends, ourselves, the needs that we have. Our, our fire needs worship. You know, just singing the songs of the Lord and just worshiping the Lord and, and praising Him for who He is and what He's done. You know, it took me a while, but I found a song to fit what it was that I needed it to say. And it's an older hymn. It's called, O Spirit of the Living God. And let me give you the first two verses of that. 
says, O Spirit of the living God, thou, thou light and fire divine, descend upon thy church once more and make it truly thine. Fill it with love and joy and power, with righteousness and peace, till Christ shall dwell in human hearts and sin and sorrow cease. Blow, wind of God, with wisdom blow, until our minds are free from mists of error, clouds of doubt, which blind our eyes to thee. Burn winged fire, inspire our lips with flaming love and zeal to preach to all thy love, thy great news, God's glorious common will. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for your word and learn how it does inspire us and how it does draw us closer to you where we need to be because we can never be close enough. Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters and know you and love you. And Lord, their, their fire may burn, be burning bright, but Lord, sometimes we pull away and that fire kind of dims and it doesn't give off the heat that it did before. Lord, draw us closer back to you, pull us into you, that your Holy Spirit can be truly on fire for you in so many ways. Lord, that we can see what it is that you've called us to do and to do it with that fire of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening that's never made a commitment to you, that Lord, maybe church turned them off uh, when they were younger. Maybe they had a bad experience of some kind, but that bad experience was with people. It wasn't with you. And so Lord, draw them now to you. Lord, let them know that what they need in their lives is you, that they need to be on fire for you with the Holy Spirit. So, Father, let them pray a prayer that will draw them to you and to pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending me a Savior. The Savior is Jesus. Thank you for forgiving my sins and asking me to live for you. Father, fill my heart, fill my life with the fire of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.